Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hope everybody had a lovely Christmas day. We're back to somewhat, I get, uh, it's not really normalcy, is it? We got a couple days of normalcy. Then you roll into the New Year's stuff, and then we hit normalcy after New Year's. We're still very much in the holiday season. The holiday spirit is strong at the moment. It's like a hair or something hanging off the front of my hat that I probably should have noticed before going on air, but it's too late to do anything about that now. We're in it now. We're in it. Figure out what it is. Maybe it's on my glasses. Good start to the show, Dan. Coming in, coming in with a, a flourish here this morning. Uh, this is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Vespers. we got five games to go over from yesterday. We'll give you a quick little preview of what's coming up on Tuesday night. It's a pretty good-sized Tuesday, mostly because yesterday was a pretty small Monday. A nine-gamer this evening. And good news all around, everybody. Christmas presents abound. Because... No, of course, I'm not talking about Bruce Brown being ruled out. That one is not uh, an impact situation. I am, of course, talking about the fact that three players that have been out a long, long while are all due back tonight. I am talking, of course, about Jalen Duran, who has been the shortest absence of the bunch, and I think is in about three weeks. I am, of course, talking about Jalen Johnson, who's been out for over a month. I am, of course, talking about Marcus Smart, who's been out over a month. Relevance, not in that particular order. Jalen Johnson, probably the most relevant, then Duran, then Smart. First two obviously belong on rosters. The third one, Marcus Smart, iffy. I would say probably stash him. Uh, Smart, of course, now coming back, the... Uh, the Duran one is a little bit, it's always a little bit frightening because his stuff is these these ankles that just won't stay right. Jalen Johnson is coming back from a hand thing, so I, his minutes, I think, can ramp up much quicker. You'll probably see him in the mid-20s right in the first game back, and then he'll be sort of rocking and rolling by game two or game three. The other two guys, Duran and Smart, you might see them kind of work their way back into game shape a little more slowly, and certainly with Marcus Smart because he's been, he's been out a while. So for Smart, I would expect something like 20-ish minutes his first game back. You'll see that move up to like 24, 26, 28, 30, that kind of thing. So if you're stashing Smart, you're stashing for at least two weeks. Just get that, sort of drop that into your brain. Understand that that's what's going to be happening here if you want any idea of what he's actually going to be. And then the other two guys obviously belong on rosters. Just sort of grain of salt on Jalen Duran. How fast do they work him back into things? He might be coming off the bench here. We'll see what Detroit does. They obviously want wins, but they can't afford to break Duran again because he's one of the only players they have that can actually help them get wins. Regardless, it's fantastic news. I uh, I was thinking about posting a picture, and I might still do it later on today. I have a team uh, that has all three of those guys actually on it, which it's like, oh, of course, Dan, like the... But no, not really. You know, like the fact that I have Jalen Johnson and Jalen Duren is not all that surprising. Those guys were very high in the Brewski 150. I was high on Jalen Duren. I rolled with 
Brewski on Johnson as a late round pick because it's like, well, whatever, you know, what if this goes wrong? And then, of course, it hit really hard. So it's not that crazy that I have Duran and Johnson, the two Jalens. It is a little funny that I also have Marcus Smart. Uh, that team also has Zach Levine. So if we got news out of the sky that Zach Levine was going to magically reappear, he's not, by the way. But that would really, you know, like uh, Jeffrey or the dude's rug, not the big Lebowski, the little Lebowski, that really would have tied the room together. Anyway, I'm feeling good as a result, and you should too, because these guys have been out a while, and the team that I have them on happens to be one of my uh, stupid, stupid head-to-head teams. I Again, you guys know I can't stand it, but I'm going to play them. I'm going to always play head-to-head because I know you guys really want me to talk about it, and so I'm going to keep doing it. That team somehow stayed afloat. It was in second place when all of those guys went down, and it's in fourth place now. And only two games back of second place. Not much of a chance of getting back to first. Not after taking a couple of losses in there. But, like, last week I won 5-4 to four, uh, by... And this was, like, the ultimate accomplishment. I won 5-4 last week. Uh, despite having Marcus Smart, Jalen Johnson, Jalen Duran, and Zach Levine all out for that weekly stretch. My opponent had one guy who was fully injured last week. Um... Uh, and then I made a trade in the middle of the week, so it's hard to look back and see what their, their lineup actually looked like. I won because I won steals, blocks, turnovers, and both percentages. That's called the thieving of a week. I stole that week. What an unbelievably lucky turn of events. But that's the kind of stuff you got to do when you got four guys injured on a 14-roster slot lineup. You're going to lose the games played battle by a dozen, at least... And so your only hope is winning the percentages, winning turnovers, which should be pretty easy in that situation. So then you're like, all right, I'm gonna maybe I can lose six three, and then anything else is just gravy. And I won blocks because I had Zach Collins filling in for an injured Wembenyama, and he had seven blocks last week or something like that. So these little things, you find a way to slip through. This is a discussion I think for another day, but you know we're only re- recapping five ball games, so I figured we could talk a little bit about sort of fantasy adjacent fantasy theory kind of stuff. And that's one of it. What do you do when you have half of your team injured? You try to steal five, four wins and, you know, squeeze out five, four losses even. And that's huge because at some point the the people you're playing against, presumably if, if luck evens out, and it doesn't necessarily in one year, but a lot of times it does, at some point during the season, you're probably going to play a team that has four guys out. And that's when you have to make sure that you spank. Get out the big hand, man. Warm up the hand and deliver a firm spanking that week. Take the percentages. You're going to lose turnovers when you're playing a team that has four guys out and you don't. Win the counting stats. Win everything that counts. Try to take at least one percentage and come out with a nice, like, 7-2 win. Rack up the W's in the weeks you can. Minimize the L's in the weeks you can't come away with a nice win. And that was it. I mean, that was what my last... Like, three and a half to four weeks were be- have been in that league. By the way, I continue to think it's dumb that, like, that's the way you got to play fantasy sports in head-to-head leagues, but that is a thing you got to do. If you want to win competitive ha- head-to-head leagues and you go through a stretch where, you know, 30% of your team is hurt, you're going to play teams where 30% of their team is not hurt, and you got to find a way to minimize losses. You just have to. All right, 
so let's dive into things um, quickly here. I we went straight into fantasy talk about the guys coming back, but I, I I've been doing such a bad job lately of of burying the news in the show that I wanted to make sure I got the news out first. So hello again at Dan Bespris over on social. I am certain that you guys will come find me over there. I know this to be true. Again, I still can't believe that I've cleared twenty thousand. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's all. I, as stupid as head-to-head leagues are, that's even dumber, but it's still very cool. I didn't think that I would care, but I do. Anybody that says they don't on Twitter is a liar. I will sheepishly admit that I very much do, so thank you to everybody for following me over there. Uh, Discord link to hang out with Sports Ethos folks, that's in the show description. Make sure to check out sportsethos.com and Ethos Fantasy BK is the news feed over there. Someone was like, Dan, what is really the advantage of the news feed? Like, is it faster than Underdog? No, it's not. But what it does do that Underdog doesn't do is provide analysis and game recap stuff. Yes, Underdog's going to get you the starting lineup in a game faster than Ethos Fantasy BK. But they don't have analysis. They don't have end-of-game stuff. You know, they got in-game, yeah. Both both feeds do, uh, but Sports Ethos blurb feed is going to give you end of game. What do you do with that information? That's where they have that big edge. And the other feeds that put out that type of stuff, Roto World, Roto Wire, I think, Sports Ethos is faster than them. And frankly, the analysis is better, but that's why you got to follow those bad boys over there. Let's get into the recap part of the show, though, because I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Oh, Manscaped.com. Come, please. I know we're past Christmas now, so I guess my sales pitch isn't quite as good. Other than to just say, it's the best male grooming products on the market, and it's just not close. It's not close. Funny story from a couple months ago. I was at a friend of mine's kid's birthday party, and their neighbor was uh, one of the marketing people at Manscaped.com. I'd never spoken to this person before. It wasn't the marketing person that I work with over there. But he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know the guy you're talking about. It's, you know, this was a mom and pop type of shop that has now grown into a bigger deal. They know each other. He was able to go to a buddy of his and be like, oh, yeah, I rented a Dan Vespers at a, at a kid's birthday party. And uh, I don't know what the punchline of all of this is other than to just say, like, these are real people out there that are making an outstanding product. And you guys can get it for 20% off with free shipping with promo code ETHOS20, ETHOS20, 20% off and free shipping on your order over at manscaped.com. Sideburn trimmers, actual electric razors, nail kits, boxers, shaving creams, all kinds of amazing stuff. Chapstick, it's for your mouth. Don't be weird. ETHOS20, get 20% off and free shipping when you head over there. So we got the news done early today. We did the news at the beginning of the show because I'm a good host now. Let's talk about what happened yesterday. On Christmas Day, what a glorious, glorious time. 9 a.m. Pacific time, you could put on the TV, you just switch the channel once every two and a half hours, basically, and you got basketball all day long. Knicks finally got their revenge on the Bucks, who had beaten them nine consecutive times. Bucks put up a pretty good fight, nonetheless, but the Knicks just had a little bit more in this particular ball game, the whole like, and, and I struggle with this as well. When do we play Bobby Portis? Cause he's very much part of my stream while warm thing. And he's been warm lately. So Portis has been a play top 50 over the last two weeks. We know that won't last forever. He goes for these types of runs, top 50 to seven to 80 range for a couple of weeks. Then he falls into that like 150 range for a couple of weeks. 
as long as he's still getting minutes, which he is right now, Portis got another 31 in this ballgame, then he needs to be played. So it's not even necessarily a stream while warm. It's more of like a stream while he's seeing significant playing time kind of thing. But then he cools off his minutes also, in its and a sort of a feedback loop, his minutes also shrink. Because he's out there to hit shots and rebound. And so if that stuff isn't happening, then his minutes dial back. And if it is and the confidence is there, then it keeps ramping up in this sort of ebb and flow and the back and forth. That's what the stream while warm type of player is. Meantime, Malik Beasley has... Fallen on some slightly harder times. Uh, the minutes generally outside of this ballgame have still kind of been there. But we've seen the three-pointers dip. We've seen the usage dip. And he's also a little bit in that same kind of category of like, okay, well, you know, if he's not shooting the ball well, why are we leaving this guy on the court for extended minutes? And the last little bit, he hasn't been. After shooting the ball extremely well at the beginning of the year, and we knew he wasn't going to shoot 50% from three for the entire season, so it was always going to kind of come down a tad. Question was how far, how long. I'm holding on Beasley. He was good enough, long enough, where even this bad stretch has still left him inside the top 90 on the season overall. Uh, if it continues a whole lot longer, then maybe we get out of the Beasley business. But for now, Roto, you could bench him head to head. I still think, like, you know, yesterday's ball game was bad. Yes, but overall, he's still doing enough. At least when schedules are fine. Like, I don't know what is Milwaukee's schedule this week. They got three games first five days of the week, and they're off for a couple of days, and then they got four, four coming up after the, like, head-to-head, you're probably not moving on because the schedule's decent enough where there isn't a big harm done by holding on to this dude. And then Roto, you just bench him until he warms back up again, if you like. No real surprises on the Knicks side. Josh Hart had one of his better ball games, so did Emmanuel quickly, but... I'm not moving off of my position that these guys are schedule plays only. The everydayers, or the all-format guys, are obviously Brunson, who's been spectacular lately, Randall, who's come on nicely after a terrible start to the year, and then Isaiah Hartenstein, who's filling in for Mitchell Robinson either two months or the entire year. We don't even actually know for sure right now because uh, Tom Thibodeau said he's still hoping to get Mitchell Robinson back in eight to ten weeks. The team is applying for a disabled player exception. Which is real? I have no idea. I didn't know you could apply for that if a player might not actually miss the rest of the season, but I also don't understand uh, the collective bargaining agreement all that well. Warriors were able to hang in there with the Nuggets for a while, just couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, Nuggets are very much in a state of cruise control this year because they know they're good enough to win most of their ballgames, whether or not they're trying all that hard. They're 22-10, and 10 while kind of messing around a little bit. And you can tell they're messing around because they're only 10-8 and eight on the road. Nuggets are always going to be a good home team, but we saw in the playoffs that they can win anywhere. Uh, this is what a regular season does to a team after a championship run. They're still winning ball games because they're to- too damn good to lose them. But you're getting not the greatest efforts from Nikola Jokic, who's right now a distant number three in fantasy, way behind Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Joel Embiid. The nice thing for Jokic is that he's still basically playing in every ball game. I think he's missed one so far this year, which, you know, better than his compatriots. But also of note, Nuggets have played 32 games this season, and a lot of other teams are at like 28. So if you're thinking about schedule stuff, things are actually 
going to get kind of clunky for the Nuggets here in the not-too-distant future. And I bring this up because Jamal Murray is another guy who missed some time with injury. He's only played 18 of their 32 games. Yeah, he's number 44 now. He's worked his way back up where he was supposed to be. But he missed the part of the season where the Nuggets had a super heavy schedule. I don't usually do buy low and sell high guys for, like, team situation. It's usually more player-specific, but, like, the Thunder have only played 27 ball games. The Nuggets have played five more games than the Thunder right now. Doesn't that seem stupid? Rockets are only at 27 also. So, point of reference, like, there, there isn't a great match for Jamal Murray on the Thunder because the Thunder really are kind of like a two-horse team right now. Shea and Chet are the guys that have fantasy value. But, like, if you look across the NBA, try to find some teams that maybe are at 27 or 28 games played, I'm sure you could find somebody who's also ranked near Jamal Murray. Maybe like an Anthony Simons, where, yeah, in a vacuum, I probably prefer to have Jamal Murray. Simons, I know, is ranked a little ahead of him right now, but, look, Anthony's played in 10 ball games, and he's had some truly amazing uh, three-point bomb efforts across them. Even if the even if Simons ends up beating Jamal by like eight to ten rank slots, getting well that person that maybe they won't turn him away. Uh, let's say Simons falls behind him. Let's say Jamal Murray ends up winning the per game battle. Jamal ends up at forty and Simons ends up at fifty. An extra five games the rest of the way out of the guy ranked fiftieth, he wins by totals. Think about that. The difference between five three game weeks. And versus four game weeks from a guy ranked inside the top 50. That's not how the numbers shake out. I'm sure it'll bounce a little bit more. It's not a perfect like, oh, yeah, here's another week where he has one extra game. But that's a five game difference. And we're 30 games into the season. It's basically a 10% scheduling advantage to some of these teams. Or maybe call it a schedule disadvantage for the Nuggets who've played a lot. The hell were we talking about? I don't know. That's kind of the only fantasy note on the Nuggets even worth bringing up because, you know, they, they're a start-the-starter situation over there. Warriors are more interesting because uh, everybody's going goo-goo-ga-ga over Trace Jackson Davis, and I like him too, and we talked about the fact that it makes sense to have him as an ad just to sort of see what happened. What you might recall from our discussion at the end of last week uh, was that I said, look, Warriors had three games in four nights, from the end of last week, they went Friday, Saturday, Monday. So they had a really good opportunity on the head-to-head side to play Trace Jackson Davis and say, all right, like, you know, whatever I get, three games in four nights, it's going to be good. Roto, it was an opportunity to kind of evaluate a little bit. Well, now the Warriors' schedule sucks. They go two games over the next week, effectively. Because it goes into Monday of next week, and then they go four times in six days after that. I... In terms of head-to-head, I don't think you can make that great of an argument to hold Jackson Davis playing two games over seven days. Pajemski, yes. He's been amazing. His fill-in role right now is as secure as anybody's in the NBA, and frankly, he may be playing himself into a rest-of-season job because Andrew Wiggins played better in this ballgame, and so Pajemski just took Jonathan Kaminga's minutes instead. He's become a priority here. I do think eventually he hits a bit of a rookie wall, and that's okay. You know, he's a young dude acclimating to the NBA. Suddenly he's now playing gigantic minutes against gigantic people, 
and he will probably run out of gas, especially when a lot of what he does is sort of glue hustle stuff. You saw it with Osar Thompson. These guys, rookies run out of gas. They just do. But as long as he has any fuel in the tank, Pajemski's a guy that needs to be rostered and started everywhere. Wiggins, I'm not adding. I'm not getting fooled again. He had another good ball game here. This is like the second good one over the span of a couple of weeks instead of one a month. That's a you know, slightly better rate, I guess. But who cares? Klay Thompson finally had a slower ball game. Doesn't matter. He's been good lately. Steph was also bad in this one. He had some Christmas hangover type, type of ball games. Um, and this, again, is the fear with Jonathan Kaminga. He doesn't get as many steals or blocks as it seems like he should as a very athletic big wing. He scores okay, but not enough to make it a big-time advantage, and he's a bad foul shooter. That's why I thought, all right, head-to-head, and again, three games in four days kind of thing. Two games over seven? No. No. Celtics beat the Lakers. Lakers are... <laughs> Lakers are dabbling in a starting lineup that makes about the least sense of any lineup from any team uh, outside of the Pistons all season long. I haven't the first... So, I don't want to get too far down the Lakers rabbit hole. You guys know that I'm a very pragmatic Laker fan. I like to see them win, but from a fantasy standpoint, I'm not going to get fooled in anything with this ball club. Let's talk fantasy first. Fantasy, uh, Derek White is a first-rounder for the last month. 18 points and 11 assists in this ball game. The Celtics had 31 assists. They shot 51% from the field. Uh, Lakers only forced eight turnovers, which I'm, I'm going to come back to why to talking about some of the team numbers matter. Jason Tatum finally had a good free throw shooting game. I bring that up because it's one of the big reasons that he's ranked in the 30s this year. Tatum is number 34, which, by the way, is actually up two slots from uh, last Wednesday when he was at 36. A lot of it is the fact that he's shooting 80% of the foul line, 79 and change before this ball game instead of 85 or 86 on high volume. That went from being a big positive for Tatum to actually a small negative. Call it neutral if you really want. He's not going to score as much, not with Drew Holiday and Christoph Porzingis around doing stuff. Rebounding numbers are still good. Three-pointers are still good, but they'll be a little bit lower. Steals and blocks are a little bit lower. Assists are still fine. That free throw number, if it starts to come back where it's supposed to be, he moves up around. I don't think he's getting into the first round per game this year, though. But if you can get Tatum for a second rounder, I think I probably would still do it. Now, on the Lakers side, I've been saying on this show that I think Torian Prince is an all-formats dude, and I stick by that. He's been very warm from three-point land. He's playing gigantic minutes because he's basically the only guy the Lakers trust to knock down three-pointers at least among the sort of uh, uh, non-key guys. So keep Torian Prince. Hachimura's seeing an increased role. He was a plus five. He was actually the only Laker who was a plus in plus minus in this ballgame. That's not enough for fantasy purposes, but he is going to take a bunch of shots because the other wings can't score. I don't know what the hell the Lakers are doing. And up until up until this ball game, I as a Laker fan was a little bit of a Darvin Ham apologist. Like, yeah, you know, he's like 
he had a lot of lineups where he was missing pieces, and there was a lot of situations where they were sort of figuring out how stuff fit together. But they basically have their guys now. No Gabe Vincent for a while again, because it sounds like he's probably going to undergo surgery and miss another two months. That's turning out to be a real crap dink of a signing. But let's not even worry about that. At the beginning of the year, as you guys might recall, the Lakers, and this is going to have a fantasy bent to it, so stick with me here. The Lakers had uh, D'Lo and Austin Reeves and Torian Prince in the starting five with LeBron and AD. And that lineup wasn't really working because they weren't able to guard anybody. Okay, fine. I think you could argue that those are the five best offensive players on the Lakers. Uh, the Prince versus Rui Hachimura thing is, is debatable, I guess, but basically five best offensive players. Um, and they got off to slow starts because other teams were uh, beating them up on the defensive side. I thought, all right, well, we can't start Reeves and Russell together. These two guys are not good rebounders. Uh, they're not great defensively. Let's get one of them out of there. Let's get Cam Reddish in. I think there was somebody else first, actually, if I recall. And then then it switched over to Reddish. Because Vanderbilt was out. I think Vincent, maybe he got a start in now. I think he was out already. I, I don't remember exactly. So Reddish got in there, and that actually worked for a little bit because he was sort of long. He was creating steals. They put him on guards to try to slow down a, a, you know opposing team's uh, primary guard. Torian Prince would often take sort of the primary wing. Anthony Davis could handle whatever was going on in the middle. And that worked for a little bit. For a little bit. Uh, and then the Lakers decided that D'Angelo Russell was the problem and moved him to the bench. <laughs> but didn't bring Reeves back into the starting five. And instead, they brought Jared Vanderbilt into the starting five because they were like, oh, we still need more rebounding. But now you've got two guys in the starting unit that aren't big men, but also can't really stretch a floor to where an opponent cares about them. It is the most nonsensical lineup decision that I've seen, again, outside of the Pistons this year. If you wanted rebounding, it had to be Hachimura. Or you had to take out Cam Reddish. Who doesn't rebound? Yeah, I know. I want him to guard the, the opposing guard. You might just have to ask Vanderbilt to do that. So the reason I bring all of this up is I don't think this starting unit can possibly stick. There's just no way that the Lakers brass is this dumb to do this for more than a couple of ball games. They beat the Thunder, but it wasn't because of the new starting five. It was because LeBron hit every three-pointer and scored 40 efficient points, and then the rest of his team started scoring a bunch around him. And frankly, D'Lo in the second unit played pretty damn well in that Thunder ball game. And he wasn't bad in the second unit in this ball game either. He doesn't rebound and he doesn't guard anybody, but he's going to score in a second unit against opponents that are not as good defensively and frankly can't punish him as much on the other end. Boston... They're deep enough and their rotations are good enough where there's always someone out there, whether it's Derek White or Drew Holiday or Jalen Brown or something. They'll, they'll find a way to attack him, but most teams are not going to be that good. So fine, if you want to leave D'Angelo Russell in the second unit, have at it. But if that's the move you make, it has to be Austin Reeves going back into the starting five. Because the whole point of benching Reeves was that they were like, well, we need some scoring punch in the second unit and 
we are getting obliterated on the glass and defensively in the starting unit. So let's separate Russell and Reeves. And now they're back together in the <laughs> on the bench. It makes no sense. It goes against all of the reasoning for why they benched Reeves in the first place, but then didn't bring him back in. So I say all about all of that about the Lakers to say this unit is not going to stick. They were horrible. They were down 12 to nothing before the ball game even started, and the game was even the rest of the way after that. Lakers came back and tied it. Celtics won it back up by 8 or 9. Lakers came back and tied it, and that's how it was. It just swung back and forth between Lakers down 10 and tied. But they fell behind right out of the chute and never really made up for it. I think they led by two points at one point in there. You cannot be that bad on offense to start a ball game. You cannot have Jared Vanderbilt and Cam Reddish on the floor with the starting unit. You just can't do it. Because if your issue was rebounding, which I get it, their rebounding has been very, very bad, Reddish isn't helping there. All of this to say, I think Austin Reeves might even be a buy low because it feels like he's about to get moved back into the starting lineup and get 30-plus minutes of ballgame. Or do they just throw D'Lo back into the starting five? Probably not based on the way that he's been kind of floating a little. D'Lo's been kind of playing with his head in the clouds the last couple of weeks, and he knows it. He's, he's said as much. I'm holding both of those guys because they're simply better by a lot than someone like a Cam Reddish. Now, Hachimura is the guy that you're sort of a little bit afraid about of, but Gabe Vincent is out for two months again. So I know D'Lo's getting dropped in a lot of places, and I get it. But if you watch the Lakers' rotations, these don't make sense, and I can basically promise that they're going to change soon. No Joel Embiid. Unfortunately, Paul Reed picked up four fouls in the first seven minutes he played. He managed to at least get 10 minutes in the second half, but it was a bad foul trouble game. 17 minutes played, five fouls for Paul Reed. Would I play him if Embiid misses another ball game? I probably would, although Mo Bamba had a much better game here. The shame of it is that Paul Reed was a plus 12. They're just a better team when he's on the floor, but he didn't. He couldn't stay on the floor in this ball game, and that's why I think I would probably give Paul Reed another look, as much as you guys all want to kill me for saying it. He's the better reality player than Mo Bamba, and I think Philly knows that. I think Nick Nurse knows that. Meantime, uh, Tyrese Maxey laid kind of his first egg almost of the entire season. He'll be fine. Kelly Oubre is a fantastic fill-in at the very least when a high-usage guy is down, so that, then he finally gets some shots. And then Melton and Tobias Harris, those guys are, are trucking along. Tobias after a hot spell, then a cold spell. He's warmed back up again. Hold on to Oubre. That's what I've been saying. Hold on until we really know what he is. It seems like the answer to that question right now on Kelly is that he's a fill-in. That when the team's fully healthy, he's probably not going to quite do enough. But they're not healthy right now, so no reason to move on until they are. Kayla Martin got hurt early for the Heat, and that opened up a little bit more room for Duncan Robinson, who played 34 minutes. If Jimmy Butler and Caleb Martin are each out for the next ball game for the Heat, you're definitely streaming Jaime Aquez Jr., who is filling in for Butler admirably right now. And then you're probably streaming uh, Lowry and Robinson, Duncan Robinson. Those are the probablys. If Martin or Butler is back, I might go back to just not streaming any 
of the fringy heat to see what this new iteration would look like. Because someone's out for Miami seemingly every ball game. The question is, we need we like we need to know which guys are out, what combination of players is out for us to know which guy to stream. And it seems like it's a new, you know, combinations and permutations problem from math going all the way back to high school mathematics. I like to see each permutation one time before I then deploy a streamer-level dude. And so now we saw from the previous game, when it's Butler that's missing, Hakez is the guy that gets his start. He's the safest of them. Duncan Robinson has been playing well, but his minutes fluctuated when everybody else was healthy. Well, Caleb Martin went down, so Robinson's minutes moved back up into the 30s instead of the 20s, and that's enough for him to get it done. Kyle Lowry, they're going to need him to move the basketball. He'll still get some threes, some steals, some assists when all of these other guys are down. What if they come back? What if Josh Richardson is back for the next ball game? That, again, further complicates matters. So start with Hakez, and we'll work our way down the board from there. Luckily, we don't have to worry about it tonight. Miami doesn't play again until Thursday of this week. They're actually off for two days in between ball games. Dallas beat Phoenix 128-114. Dallas led by a bunch. Phoenix came roaring back, but then kind of ran out of juice. Luka with a 50-point monster of a basketball game. Made all 12 of his free throws. Eight threes, 15 assists, four steals, and three blocks. Luka jumped all the way up to the number five slot, passing both Tyrese Halliburton and Kawhi Leonard. That's hard to do at this point in the year, to jump over two guys at the top of the board, but this was that kind of ridiculous level ball game. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a stream while Kyrie Irving is out. That one you feel safe with. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. got 18 shots. Did not see that one coming. He was good enough in this ball game, but you guys know my feelings on Derek Jones Jr. and Dante Exum. I still feel like each one of them is sort of ripe for a fall-off, and Exum had a little bit of a fall-off in this one. Uh, will it be Jones Jr. in the next one? I don't know, maybe. But he kept his starting job, even though Grant Williams and Derek Lively were back in there. I guess Grant was back in the last one. Uh, Derek Lively's back. He had 20 and 10. Hopefully nobody dropped him. If they did, check the wire. See if you can scoop an awesome center. I doubt it. And then over on the Phoenix side, uh, <laughs> Jamezi Metu had 23 and 19 as the backup center for Drew Eubanks. Phoenix was like, look, Eubanks, you're terrible. And he's been quite bad in both games. But it was uh, Yudoka Azubuki who picked up for Eubanks in the previous ball game, And it was Metu in this one. I don't know who the hell's going to be the third string center in the next ball game who outplays Eubanks. Maybe it'll just be Yusuf Nurkic back from his personal absence. So I'm leaving that one alone. I do think Grayson Allen, and I've been saying this for a week now, I think Grayson Allen is a 12-teamer while Bradley Beal is out, and then he made good on that with an 8-3-pointer game here. So start Allen, start Durant, start Booker, and that's as far as I'm going with Phoenix right now. By the way, Devin Booker is down to number 29 in 9-cat. Don't mean to alarm anyone. That's on a per-game basis. And that's still with Bradley Beal not having really played at all this year. I don't take pleasure. That's So I'm not, like, trying to celebrate this. I just... A bunch of people were in my mentions a month into the season when Booker was number six. And I was like, yeah, like, he's, he's destroying so far. But we hadn't seen the team at full strength. 
And frankly, he was playing over his head in both percentages and assists and steals. And some of that stuff has come down. By the way, the fact that he's only number 29 while averaging 27, 5, and 8 is kind of insane. That's how incredible the top of the board is in fantasy this year. But it's the truth. He was drafted at 13-14. I said I thought he was going to be back in the in the 25 to 30 range, and that's where he is right now. And it's not because he's not a great basketball player who puts up large fantasy numbers in a few things. It's because I thought that there wouldn't be enough in threes, steals, blocks, turnovers, rebounds. They're not bad, but they're just not quite at that elite or even at like a break-even level to where the stuff that he does that's very, very good can counterweight it enough to be in that top 15. I mean, think about what the guys have to do to be a top 15 player this year. The numbers are extraordinary. Donovan Mitchell is basically Devin Booker, plus a crap ton of threes and defensive stats. It's hard to get up near the top. It's very difficult. Tyrese Albert is averaging 25 and 12 assists a game. Like, how the hell do you get in the top 10 right now? Scotty Barnes, 21 points, 9 boards, 6 assists, 2 threes, almost 3 defensive stats. Chet Holmgren, 17 and 8 with 3.6 defensive stats and a 56-85 split. It's freaking impossible. Kevin Durant is number 13 now, averaging 36 and 5.5 and with almost 2 defensive stats per game on good percentages. How the hell is that not good enough to be a first-rounder this year? Anyway, so yeah, Booker's down to number 29 now. He's a third rounder, which is exactly where I said he would be on draft day. It just took two, almost exactly two months for it to get there. But remember, he missed two weeks, so the great leveling for him happened two weeks later. The great leveling, man. It levels us all. Mid-show reminder again to check out our buddies at manscaped.com. Promo code there, ethos20. Find me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Uh, and uh, do take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe. And I know that I am running dangerously far behind on replying to YouTube comments. You guys know with the holidays, it's been just a little bit of a tougher time to uh, get back at everybody. I will do my best to do so today. Uh, again, if you're trying to get a hold of me, the YouTube comments is the best place to do it. That's where you can post stuff after the show is officially uploaded. So when the live stream finishes, that's the place to get a hold. Let's do a very quick look at what's coming up here on a nine-game Tuesday, and then we'll wrap up the show. Orlando is in Washington. There isn't a whole lot to pay attention to there other than whether uh, certain guys are in or out. Wizards looking to try to keep this one competitive. Kyle Kuzma, I believe, was listed as probable at the latest marker, and there's been uh, no update today. Let's do a quick glance over to make sure I wasn't missing anything since we went on air 30 minutes ago. Uh, Brooklyn, Detroit, Jalen Duran's return. Curious how many minutes he gets. My guess would be about 22, 24, something in that neck of the woods. Utah, Jordan Clarkson put up some big numbers in the last ball game. Um, he's a sell anytime he does that. Do we get more Chris Dunn or does THT come back and ruin that fun? Otherwise, uh, you know, start Kelly Olenek if he's starting. If he's not, don't. San Antonio, uh, we got an event Wembenyama update. He was available at shoot-around today. He participated, so um, presumably he'll be playing. Does that sort of re-begin the Zach Collins uh, drop storyline, or does he somehow hang on? 
Atlanta getting Jalen Johnson back. What does that mean for Sadiq Bey, for Onyeka Okongwu? Do we not find out immediately because DeAndre Hunter is out for a couple of weeks that might sort of mitigate whatever Jalen Johnson impact uh, would have on the other fantasy players on that team? Chicago, I think you're basically starting the starters for the Bulls right now, although we are starting to see a little bit of the bottom coming out for Kobe White, and he's still going to do more than enough in the, in the popcorn stats, but the other things are leveling. Because he wasn't going to shoot 50% forever. That was wild. But, yes, obviously you start all those guys. Pacers, we've seen some good stuff out of Aaron Neesmith lately. I'm expecting that to continue. No Bruce Brown, so Andrew Nemhart might be a very short-term fill-in for some points and assists, but his fantasy game is not particularly robust. Houston, I would like to see Tari Eason at full strength again. It looked like he was really coming on. I think that continues. Memphis, Marcus Smart, uh, likely back, but likely on a minute's limit. New Orleans, this might be the last Herb Jones stand for me. I need to see a good ball game out of the dude. I think we're at like six bad ones in a row, and I'm extending my patience as long as humanly possible. But Trey Murphy seems to have mostly taken his job. Minnesota, uh, cat status, that's the only thing you're watching there, and then what that would mean for Nas Reed. Oklahoma City, there may be no Josh Giddy in this game, so perhaps you get a little bit of an Isaiah Joe sighting. Jalen Williams also has a cold. He's questionable. If both of those guys are out, you got to think somebody on Oklahoma City would step up. Might even be Lou Dort, although I hate his fantasy game. Kings, not much. I think Malik Monk is a game-time call. Hopefully he'll be in there, but it doesn't change the starters very much. Blazers, eh, well, I haven't seen an update on Shaden Sharp in a little bit, so maybe keep an eye on that one, and then what it would mean for Malcolm Brogdon. Charlotte, nothing. Seems like Nick Richards is still your fill-in. And then the Clippers, uh, Kawhi is questionable. Hopefully he gets back in there. My guess is he sits because the Clippers can win this game without him. And at a certain point, you start to make those types of calculations. Clippers are 17-12. and 12. They're the sixth seed in the Western Conference. Even if they accidentally lost this game, they still got a little bit of an edge. I just don't think they're all that worried. The West right now is uh, basically 11 teams playing for 10 spots unless the Grizzlies can get themselves back into it. Um, so if you have a few game edge on that, you're probably not super concerned. So my guess is that Kawhi sits out one more ball game, but we shall see. I think he's trying to play more games this year and uh, would be good, I think, if for all of us if he did from a fantasy standpoint. And that's your show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for watching on this day after Christmas. I think many of you are probably out of town or taking a holiday, so I do appreciate those of you that are still around and hanging out on these shows with us. Again, throw stuff in the comments section after the show. I'm going to go through. I'm like three shows behind on that, but don't worry. I do see them. It's on my list to do. We just got a lot going on on the home front right now. A lot, a lot. It's all fine. There's nothing bad happening, but you know, it makes time a little bit more precious and a little harder to come by. Uh, hoping to get a buy low showing later on today. Stay tuned for that. Good reason to subscribe to whatever feed you're listening to so you can get those show updates. I am again at Dan Vesperso for on social. Shout out to manscaped.com, promo code ethos20 over there. Discord link in the show description. My Twitter handle in the show description. Ethos Fantasy BK for your news. This was Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you in a little bit, everybody. So long for now.